Everybody, welcome to another installment of Show to Be with Mike G, the show of life, the show of gin, the show of Sydney, Brisbane, Scotland, the party, and so much more. Today we're chatting with the industry vet himself, Mr. Benjamin Carlato, amazing accent, amazing guy. And this recent chapter diving into the molecular structures of flavor, sweeteners, and how we actually taste cocktails has put Benjamin into many different cities and he gets to talk about the composition of cocktails. It's kind of this academic yet cerebral era in Benjamin's career. He's dipped into a lot of different pieces, but he's a hospitality professional through and through. We talk about Rute Gin, we talk about Picardi, we talk about a lot of different things, and it was really great to catch him while he was in town doing a brilliant little class at Small Victory. So without further ado, I hope you guys enjoy this great chat with Benjamin Carlotto. Probably, probably a little bit of both. Yeah. Rather actually lazy, but also in other cases, <laughs> quite proactive. Yeah. Um, my Australian years was a long time ago, I guess. Yeah. So the internet wasn't that popular, nor was it that available as well. Um, Where about in Australia? I started out in Brisbane. Oh, Brisbane, That's okay. where I grew up. Yeah. Um, started in hotels. That was uh, the, the interesting start, I guess. Four yeah. star, five star hotels. It was, so when we talk about childhood in Brisbane, met many Aussies, which I love, what is it? Is it as agrarian as we kind of think about it? Or Brisbane's relatively metropolitan city, right? It's or is it a blend? City Hall is still called Town Hall. Oh it's, shit! It's, really? It's, it's it's pretty small. Yeah, I mean, okay. it's maybe one and a half million, I think, at last count. Uh, it's a it's a river city. It's a beautiful city. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, it's it's very small. I didn't realize. Yeah. yeah, we get the we don't know much about Australia in the states. It's honest. growing. I mean, the, what's the population of Texas at the moment? Oh, God, it's in the millions. Or more 22 million or something? Yeah. That's about the total of the entire country. Oh, geez. Okay. Yeah. So you've got one state's worth of people in one entire country the size of Brazil. That's crazy. So when you are in a small, uh, I'm not going to say small town, medium-sized town, is Sydney the step when you think about careers and kind of going to more yeah. cultural epicenters? It, it was. And then for me, when I really worked out that I wanted to be in hospitality and pursue that as a career, yeah. I knew I had to go to Sydney. Interesting. Um, okay. I jumped around a little bit. I had done a lot of uh, front of house work. Yeah. Um, and then I was put into a, a bar uh, without any bar experience as the manager. I seemed to impress the general manager somehow and, and took that on. Did some fun things there. And yeah. um, he went on to pursue his career. He, he'd left uh, Brisbane and went down to Melbourne. Um, and the Olympic Games were around the corner. Oh, okay, okay. So he put me in contact with the guy that was looking after accommodation services, mm. and they brought me down to be uh, an accommodation services manager. Okay. Uh, we would take over um, universities, um, kick all the students out essentially, and turn them into mini hotels. No So kidding. we looked after all of the second tier athletes, the judges, um, the coaches, and whatnot. That's uh, crazy. That was a crazy time. But so when when you think about if you hadn't taken that step into hospitality, what other things were you perhaps kind of working on? Were you into history? Were you into science, school subjects at all? Pretty pretty interesting uh, childhood, I guess. Um, I left high school as a uh, as a musician. Uh, oh, no as shit. What did you play? A saxophone and Latin percussion. Um, Alto, baritone, soprano? Tenor. Tenor, tenor. And, okay. And I could, I could pick up the others, yeah. Tenor guys are better. Than, than alto guys they're cooler just in my experience berry guys and tenor guys are the coolest <laughs> they got the those those lower depths i guess yeah, totally. so that was that was an interesting thing for me i i played in several bands for a few years after high school yeah i um, never really sort of got to where i wanted to get professionally was never really able to make a career out of it yeah um that that position that i was offered to be a bar manager Without any experience, that same day, this was a, an ultimate day for me. Mm-hmm. That same day, I got offered that position, which was huge. Yeah. That night, I got a phone call uh, from a mate who um, 
worked with a Credence Clearwater Revival band. So it was a cover band. A cover band, okay. But they were touring uh, around Asia and then up to Europe for the next 18 months. They can do, you, CCR and they said, cover they band? Said, they said, we need a saxophone player. Our guys just dropped out. Uh, will you do it? I'm oh, like, man. Shit, really? But here's my music career right there, the start of it in yeah. my hands. Or a safe, you know, career in hospitality that a I actually enjoyed. crossroads, yeah, It was yeah. a proper crossroads. Yeah. And I made that decision and stayed with hospitality. Do you, I'm sure you didn't look back, but Not is there all. any times where you kind of think, man, if only I could have went and been playing saxophone throughout Asia? <laughs> yeah, you know what? Everything that I wanted to achieve as a musician, yeah. the, uh, what would you say, the, the lifestyle, the women and, yes, and, that, and, that and the rest, stuff, yeah. it happened in hospitality anyway. <laughs> so, you know. <laughs> with, a, with a proper uh, vehicle such as alcohol too. Exactly. So probably better access. Yeah. So <laughs> what was it about, I think everybody goes into the hospitality industry, whether they know it consciously or not, trying to get something out of it. Now, again, whether the, it's intentional or not, I don't know. But in terms of going into that industry, what did you find you really enjoyed about it? The diversity. Yeah. Um, the, pe- the people diversity. The people diversity, yeah. the, the different positions that are available to you in hospitality. Yeah. Um, you know, in the hotel world, you've got marketing, sales, the whole gambit housekeeping sure. maintenance but also in bars and restaurants and clubs you've got uh you know food which really interested me as well yeah um the marketing of your venues the management of people was the one thing that really drew me to hospitality do you like people in a general sense definitely yeah yeah and, and being a sincere and, and a polite sort of person who had pretty good manners yeah. hospitality was pretty easy you know gotcha. and you apply that to not only your guests but your staff, who I always refer to as my in-house guests. Yeah, absolutely. And so it, it, got, it, uh, it was pretty easy for me. I like that. I mean, there's a warmth to you. I mean, I can tell already. We're getting hmm? along all right, at least so far. Right? <laughs> <laughs> but the, 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 the hospitality bug, it's funny because I never thought about it. My dad has been in the restaurant business ever since I was a kid. My mom was a waitress for a long time. Before right. I was Did that come from somewhere for, for you? You know, music sometimes does. Your parents, like it carries down or the hospitality piece? Did your folks work in the industry at all? Not at all. It was Not a completely really? new transition, a new thing to me. Really? Um, I had no influence whatsoever to move into hospitality. Oh, that's great. Apart from just the love of people. I was a theater major. And oh, was, okay. Uh, well, there, there's some of it, right? Won the cultural awards at school and whatnot. So it was always always about the people and always about you know, working with different interesting people. Yeah, which then would lead me to believe that Australia just isn't big enough. And you have to move on to bigger and more diverse markets, yeah? Indeed, indeed. So my, my trip down to Sydney was, was great. Um, I did the Olympic Games and moved on. Um, I worked casually in this place called The Basement, which has been there for like 21 years. Mm-hmm. I hit hosted Miles Davis and you know, oh, all the big shit, ones. Really? So I, was, I, I was there nearly every night paying cover charge to go and see all these museums. Look, yeah. Fuck this! I'm just going to work here. I'll just pick up some shifts, and then I don't have to pay any. Hear the money, or yeah. hear the music all the time. Exactly. Yeah. So I, I did that for a long time while I was while I was in the Olympics. That yeah. happened for about six months, um, and then through those connections, I, I picked up a bar manager's position in a really lucky situation. It was a, a bar called the Grand Pacific Blue Room. Okay, and it became probably um, the, the star in cocktail uh, creation in Sydney in Australia. No really. kidding. What year are we talking, there. roughly? 2000, 2001, leading totally in. Totally different time then. Long time stuff. ago. Yeah. We'll make a mojitos with a pestle and mortar, you know. Like, yeah, and even yeah, yeah. then, the mojito and the carpino was unheard of. Yeah. Um, hilarious stuff. Worked with uh, guys like Naren Young, uh, Mikey Enright, Jason Crawley, some big names in the industry. And wow. they're the guys that really taught me my craft. Um, never really worked as a bartender. Uh, as a, in, a, in a shift, to be honest with you. No kidding. Um, it so was, bar managing, just kind of facilitating yeah, logistics yeah, exactly. and stuff like that. Yeah. Did you, when it comes to booze, which is a key factor in this whole thing, did you have a perspective on booze yet? Like, I think as we get older, we start honing in what we like and we start honing in what we want to learn about, right? So for you at that period in Sydney, because this is still in Sydney, so yeah, uh, was there something you were gravitating towards spirit-wise? Uh, Wine and tequila. Wine and tequila. Yeah. What was it about those two? Tequila for me had a really bad reputation. Oh, and sure. yeah. in Australia at the time, I tried to put together a, a tequila shelf. Just a shelf. Just no a, kidding. A single shelf. A right? single shelf. I managed to get 13 different types of tequila. That was it mm. in Australia. When I moved to Scotland, it was a whole, whole new game. But mm-hmm. uh, yeah, wine was something that I was really interested in. Um, I, I liked the 
you know, the high level sort of snobbery around it that it was really interesting. You could really develop a, a good palette yeah. and, and to be able to talk about you know, lots of different things that are going on. Uh, do, you, do you like to translate what is sometimes kind of like techno speak? Do you like being able to keep it like, what's the word, Joe Public? Like make it easy and dissectable or digestible rather? It, the last eight years of my career, I guess, has been doing exactly that. Yeah. And, and that's, I found that most interesting. I'm at a very nice point in my career right now. Yeah. It uh, took a little while to get there. Yeah, it's amazing. Well, we're, I mean, we're going to have to talk about this seminar here this afternoon, which is very intriguing. There's not a topic when talking about sugar specifically that I get to talk about a lot with people. But So it seems like things are going well in Sydney. seems like a dream gig, some amazing musicians coming through there. But you were saying you transitioned off into Scotland, yeah? I did. So I uh, I opened up three different venues in Sydney by that stage as, mm. as the general manager. Wow. Same uh, same group? Um, no, completely different. Different stuff? Yeah, different. I went into a three-story place, uh, a high-end five-star restaurant, yeah. uh, a couple other things. But uh, I was ready to leave Sydney. I was, to be honest, I was over the, the dickheads in Sydney. The, <laughs> the people that I had to serve yeah. were the guys that were clicking their fingers, throwing, waving money in the air, like really just literally those knobs. That's shit. You're like uh, pretentious and kind of yeah. stuck up and shit. So no, too right. much money, not enough class. Got it. And I was over it. Yeah. If I wanted to stay working in those sort of venues, which was, you know, the, the high end, yeah. um, I had to deal with these people. I'm like, no, fuck this, I'm out. Yeah, I don't blame uh, you, man. So it's it's changed a lot uh, since my days back then. Yeah. Um, but yeah, this opportunity came up in Scotland. They they contacted me. Um, they wanted someone with fresh eyes and a fresh perspective mm. um, to come over and open up a nightclub for them. That's incredible. And yeah, so that was, that was an interesting part of my life. Edinburgh is a beautiful part of the world. It is. It is. Complete shift in weather, though, if I take it. I stepped off the plane wearing board shorts. <laughs> yeah. Holy shit. Yeah, no, that wasn't a good day. <laughs> it's, yeah, it's, it's, it's jarring, I would imagine, to say, mm. to say the least. How are people, if you could describe kind of a main difference between the two, two types, because I love the Scots as well, very, very down to earth, very people, you know what I mean, like easy to relate to. For you, did you notice a big difference in the clientele? Like, right off kind of shifting in the clientele massively in my pool and peers yeah uh they're almost exactly the same probably mates right just all yeah they're the salt of the earth they're they're funny bastards they take the piss all the time uh it's the the scots and the australians have a a great deal in common so i i I hit the ground running with those guys that that was really cool that's male and female yeah the, the women would take the piss just as much as the men uh, once, oh, I like that. That's good. I do too. We can't do that here. In the no, 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 no. We're too close. fucking like we're too rigid, man. It's strange. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, that was a, that was cool. I mean, really had to get an ear for their accent though. Yeah, that was oh, tough. Yeah. Working in a nightclub, music right up. They've been drinking. Oh, dude. That was that was a hard hard part. But now I can, I, without even thinking, I understand them, which That's, is great. How long do you think that took? Nearly the whole two years that I was there <laughs> for sure. It's yeah. it's tough, dude. I mean, I get it, but I have to. I find that not listening helps me listen. Right. If I pay too much attention, I get lost in trying to really figure out what the fuck's going on. But as long as I stop listening, then I hear it. It's very strange. Yeah, look at all of the other factors in their, in their communication. It makes oh, yeah. it a little easier. That's right. Yeah. It's interesting. Yeah, that, and it's, I imagine that was a pretty fulfilling chapter too, being in Scotland. Even more so because after I opened up that nightclub, I opened a place called the Voodoo Rooms, mm. which was an old gin palace. Uh, it had oh, really? several levels. It had a, a big ballroom, which we turned into a live music venue. Oh, cool. There about 500 people in there. What kind of music? Local bands? All touring? over. No, no all, a lot of international acts, actually. Really? Yeah. Can, can you can you tell? give me a sense of time and place, anybody that you caught there that you really enjoyed seeing oh, live there? Oh, we have to really sort of go back. I didn't really get to see a lot because I was working, working a lot of the time. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Michelle, is it Michelle Gardo? A band called Incognito, I really love to see. Um, some of the old hip hop crews yeah. were, were coming through there. Um, yeah, off the top of my head, that's I killer, tell though, you, but, but it was it was it was great. It was there were people that were coming through London. Yeah, that the guy who was part owner was a promoter. He brought them up to to Scotland. That's amazing. You know, for one or two nights, and, yeah. and we were one of the only live music venues up there. But it's, that was that was cool. It sounded like a really cool cool place, cool time, also to be doing that stuff. Is it easy, you know, and this extends even to, the, I know you're married now, but back in that day, running through, <laughs> living the musician life, lifestyle as a bar manager, more or less, did you find kind of when you shifted, was it easy to meet people? Was it easy to build relationships with folks? Really easy to build relationships with folks. Yeah. folks. Very difficult to hold down a relationship with a single person. Yeah. 
Um, it's it's tough, you know. Opening up that place, we had three bars and a restaurant. Um, I literally trained my ass off physically to be able to handle the opening weeks or right. months, and you know, eighteen hour days and seven days a week. It's, it's tough to maintain. It it is, and any sort of relationship that you're in at that time pays a pretty big price. It's back burner stuff, right? You it gotta is. have to. And anyone who's not in the industry, they don't understand it. They don't get it. Yeah, not really. Yeah, I don't. I think you're right. Thankfully, my wife does now, but she's worked in brands and, and in marketing for a long time. She can relate now, well, so she gets it as well. So, well, you're in, it's it's a little bit more of a jet setter lifestyle now. You don't have to put in an 18 hour day like you did. Not at all. My my life is a lot easier now. It's it's great. Once you become more successful, things get easier. <laughs> it's a nice piece, right? It's it's nice how it works out that way. So we were talking Brisbane to Sydney to Scotland to London. And so you had two years in Scotland. Tell me a little bit about the London piece, because it seems like at this point, maybe that's what translated after working in bars there to the brand work. Is that kind of what that chapter was? Is it maybe a transitional one? Yeah, it it was interesting. So when I moved from Sydney to Scotland, nobody really knew who I was. And for me in hospitality, you have to have a reputation if you're going to do well. People will will seek you out. that was something that I that I was actually proactive about in Scotland. And the only way I really found to be able to raise my, my, my reputation or yeah, my name yeah. was to start to uh, compete in cocktail competitions. Interesting, okay. So I concentrated a lot on that yeah. um, and managed to do very well. I, I traveled around, around the world having won uh, quite a few competitions and managed to develop my name there. And that's sort of when I moved to London, um, which was a, a very quick transition. I'm just, all of a sudden I had enough of, tiny little Edinburgh and just needed yeah. a bigger city. Um, picked up some work very quickly. Um, opened up two restaurants as a consultant. That's amazing. And that's when Bacardi as a company sort of pricked their ears up. Uh, they noticed I, you. They had you, noticed me. Some yeah. good actual experience on the ground running, right? But also some of the star tender stuff. Not the not the egocentric stuff, but you're out there. Yeah. You're performing in a way, right? Exactly. And that, that really helped me uh, a lot. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, despite the fact that I am a little bit of a nerd, uh, moving into that sort of position, it wasn't really a, an ambassadorial role as much as it was an educational role. Yeah, um, we worked with a lot of different clients, a lot of different people. Um, Bacardi back then were and still are uh, was the company that was giving back to the industry. So if they yeah. did a rum session, they would expect me to cover off thirteen different rums minimum. Wow! You know, we'd do the category, we'd do the history, everything. We do right? all yeah. everyone's rum. You know, of course it was you'd. Tangle in Bacardi, right, and, sure. you know, but people would respect and, and, and be loyal to you giving back to them. Yeah. And that was the same. So we did every spirit, uh, gin, tequila, rum. It's amazing. A lot. And then that sort of developed more into other programs as well. Mm. Um, I became quite lucky in the, in the last two years of working with Bacardi. I really just worked with um, a very small base of clients. So the Savoy Hotel, I worked closely amazing, with them, which yeah. was great. Um, Gordon Ramsay mm-hmm. worked mm-hmm. with him and all of his properties. He made his way here. We're all real big fans. In yeah, States, yeah, right? he yeah. did actually. Um, and that was funny. I almost left uh, Bacardi to go and work for him. No kidding. Um, I'd actually resigned from Bacardi London, UK, and was moving over to transition with Gordon until America Bacardi picked me up and said, "Hey, we want to do what you guys did over there here." Amazing. And they basically made a, an offer that I couldn't refuse. Could not refuse. Cool. And. Miami helped, I have to say. I Maybe bet. Well, I've heard some, some little bit of a different uh, shift in people, shift in aesthetic, women are different, It's all of that. Oh, yeah. I've never really been involved in such a huge Latin sort of part of society yeah, as well. Right. It was an eye-opener for me, but uh, I love Miami. It reminds me of home. It's, it's an awesome. interesting place. So when we talk about the category piece, rum, which has this rich history, gin, which has this rich history, this... Less terroir, rums more terroir, you know, tequila as you're sipping this ocho, that's ground-based, you know. So do you like to learn in that respect, hitting the books, so to speak, and going and getting historical about these spirits? I, I do, indeed. Uh, I, I don't like to tell anybody anything unless I've researched it, and yeah. I know for a fact that it's a fact. Oh, that's um, good. I'll never work out of just one book. Um, my library at home is, is extensive. It's, okay. it's actually bordering on ridiculous. <laughs> but it's, um, you know, it's important to me. I, I don't ever want to be able to have someone say, well, no, that's not right. Because that's, number one, it's embarrassing. But number sure. two, you're doing them a disservice. That's right. So, you know, anything you, anything you educate, you really should know you should. Yeah. Uh, and I've prided myself on that. How do you feel about, and this is a slight contrast, but so you're in the States now, so you're now like a token American, even though you've never... Pretty much, I got a green yeah, card. You got a green yeah, card, right? So yeah. 
So, all right, so we're both Americans. We're, we're here in <laughs> Texas. You seem to appreciate, rightfully so, going to the truth of the matter, going down to exactly how things are, and then go, kind of working your way up to those details. When you are out, and this doesn't have to be boo-centric, but how do you feel about people talking so topically, not really understanding the details of things? This is a common narrative in the States. It is about booze, but also just in general. Do you, how does that appeal to you intellectually, the fact that you're willing to find the truth, but then people are just kind of talking out of their ass? It's, it's, it's a little embarrassing. I'm embarrassed for them, to yeah. be honest. Um, I, you don't see too much of it. You see elements of it yeah. more than a lot of it. Um, the role of the ambassador in the States is a, is a huge thing or was a huge thing. Mm. I honestly believe that that word ambassador and as far as the larger companies see it now is completely turned up on its head. Mm. Um, you know, it's very much a sales orientated role now. Um, you're not just there to wine dine and, and you know, make people feel good. It's, it's, it is about education and you yeah. have to be on top of that. Uh, it's about making those uh, visits those times and those those uh, situations where you're interacting turn into cases. Yeah, um, it's it's a completely different thing. But it's also a lot of ambassadors are those star tenders wanting to move out of the bars. In my eyes, generally too early. Sure. Um, and they have, are still immature in life, let alone in the industry. Yeah. Um, but they're they're good looking. They're popular. Mm-hmm. They've got generally great chat. Um, and these are all of the things that a lot of companies look for as an ambassador. Yeah. Um, and that, that is important. Fast fashion, though. That's you know a good I mean? way of putting it. Yeah. yeah. The best mode, I think. is. How, <laughs> how that, but yeah, it, it is an interesting thing. I mean, do you see the way in which, so you mentioned that they're changing. What do you look for? Because there's some modern greats still, right? What do you Absolutely. look for from an ambassador? What, what do you aspire to be? My team that I've put together just recently for uh, for Royal Dutch Distillers, um, when I looked at my guys um, in fulfilling those roles, I honestly the one word would be sincerity. Mm. You know, caring, truly caring about what they do and about the people they interact with. Yeah. You know, for me, an ambassador is somebody that's going to get up at two o'clock in the morning and go down the road with a couple of bottles of booze because their local bar has run out of their product or they need some ice or they need you to basically bar back for an hour because they're in the fucking weeds. Right, right. You know, that's the sort of person that's going to do a good job. Uh, and that's the sort of person that really is an ambassador because they're looking after their people. And that's how you garner loyalty. That's how you garner respect. That's how you really grow um, truly long-standing relationships that will, yeah. will, because you represent a brand or an ethic, you know, they'll, they'll, they'll always use it. And that's that's a reflection of you, though. It sounds like you're describing yourself in a sense. Took me a while to get there, but yeah, (laughs) absolutely, I think so. And sincerity. I think that that's something that, again, going back to people speaking topically, which that's disingenuous, really. Can be, yeah. Not learning about the core values or the core details of production, even. Let's just say production. But it seems like sincerity is kind of missing from the States right now. And it's still around in the UK and in Australia, right? So you kind of have to bring, you brought some of this over. How do you try to encourage people to be sincere? I think by bringing the right sort of people together. So as, as an operator, yeah. um, I guess, you know, like I said, I had to train in order to open this place, but it's so that I have enough energy to give enough to everybody, mm. be the number one role model in the venue, you know, be able to spend the time and make the time to, to generally sincerely care about your staff as well yeah. as the customer. Um, hiring the right people, you know, hiring the people that uh, are generally happy people um, yeah. who care about what they do, have a sense of responsibility and timing and work and ethic. Um, you can teach them everything you need to teach them. Sure. You can teach them how to carry three plates. You can teach them how to clear a table of 10. You can teach them how to make cocktails. You know, I had a girl that worked uh, in, a, in a restaurant. She was fabulous. Waiter. Mm-hmm. She'd never worked behind the bar in her life. Um, my program at the Voodoo Rooms in Scotland was if you work behind the bar, you also work the floor. Um, you had to come Do to training yeah. every two weeks, two hours. Uh, there was a training. If you missed a training, get a written warning, three written warnings, you're out. Yeah. She went on to be um, a great cocktail bartender. Uh, she won the Apprentice of the Year for Scotland That's that amazing. year. Uh, a lot of them had done that sort of thing. Um, a lot of people had come through that program. and yeah. you know, it's, it's getting the right person and you can teach them the rest normally. 
Well, you know, it's it's interesting when I think about people, it seems like they're really on the ball operationally and they kind of understand how to foster a culture. They understand how to hire the right people and make sure that people want to work where they're working. Where do you learn this, though? Like you, so typically if there's that seed or it's genetic, right, your folks are in the hospitality industry, it comes from somewhere. You can trace it back. But how did you ever, how did you become good? How did you develop a vision for how to be a leader or how to run a business? It's an interesting question. I guess it's just a progression of life. You know, yeah. it's it's something that people aren't stupid. I guess I wasn't stupid either. When you see what works, being polite, being well-mannered, yeah. being patient, being sincere, well, that translates into bucks in my That's back pocket. You know, true, there's tips true, yeah. and all the rest of us. So shit, this is a good formula. Um, and, and it progresses from there in a very basic way. Yeah. Um, and again, that translates into how you treat your staff and how you want them to treat people. And then that sort of builds as a culture. Yeah. And I think building a culture is a really important part of, of being an operator uh, or being an influencer in the industry. Absolutely. You know, it's, uh, it's, it's a tragedy to walk into a beautifully set bar with amazing glassware, incredible back bar, and the bartender behind the bar has got his head down and he's a fuckwit. Like, yeah. <laughs> come on, man, it's not hard. Lift your head, yeah. smile, say hello, and... People can see you're busy. They're not stupid. Yeah, you, know, they, you they got one wait. fucking job. Exactly. Really? And that's to interact with people. Exactly. That's it, dude. It's crazy. It is. It's, it's mind-blowing. Yeah. yeah. Gobsmacked, I guess, to bring it to the, the colloquial terms, right? So it looks like so Bacardi UK to the US as the Bacardi US ambassador in Miami. When does flavor, learning about how sugar works, how fat works, how acids work, because it seems to be a nice narrative to kind of your one of the some of the recent chapters of you traveling around doing these chops uh, classes rather and complexities of flavor and things things like that. When did that start? That level of granularity with flavor start to kind of percolate in your mind. If I was to sort of look at a date, it would probably be all of my time trying to trying to win cocktail competitions. Ah, I see. What's going to make my drink stand out from anybody else's? Yeah. How can I build this? to be a winning cocktail and then that sort of spurred or spawned spawned the uh the delight in in the things that were really interesting and 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 were, were not available there weren't very many books back then yeah on on any of this now there is a, a plethora uh, and the internet and the rest um so I, I also took that responsibility later on in in london working with bartenders who had good chat who had good style mm-hmm. who knew their hospitality, uh, but wanted to take things further and were interested, but there was nothing really available there. And the good thing about working for Picardi was they had the funds yeah. and and the, the the availability for you to spend time researching. Um, I could purchase books. I could spend time researching. I could go and talk to people, take right. them to lunch, whatever, um, you know, really sort of get into the, the nitty-gritty of it all. Uh, and that was a, a wonderful thing to be able to then learn and then share. Yeah. And so I guess the the more I learned, the more I wanted to share, and the more you know you don't know, right? So, um, you know, meeting people like Harold McGee and Tony Canigliario, um, one was American and the other one's from mm-hmm. London, you know, they're at the top of the game and they were doing a lot of that sort of stuff. And it's, you know, molecular gastronomy was pretty big back in, in the you know, early 2000s and then that, that sort of boomed. I think it's almost re- re- reached its crescendo now. I think so. Um, yeah, it's kind of it, it's getting back to with the vinyl resurgence. Pe- people listening to music on vinyl has the food industry's going the same way. There you go. Yeah, Just fucking take all the the, the pomp and circumstance out of it. Right? <laughs> Indeed. But but I think that's a good point. So you're prepping for these cocktail conferences, or not the conferences, rather the competitions, and you have to think about flavors. But you have to get like laser focused on like three things, right? You're building this this drink that has to appeal on so many different levels. Are you a, sorry, go ahead. No, please. Like, oh, so yeah, yeah, absolutely. So to extend on that, you, you know, the psychology of, of the perception of taste, you, you drink things with your, with your heart and with your eyes before right. you even put them to your lips. Oh, and, no, yeah. You know, there's a lot of things that take that into account. Um, you know, texture, um, different, either composite flavors or complementary flavors yeah. sometimes can work well. The, what I like to call a, a bit of a up and down sort of railroad of, of things that are say torpedo, so light, bright, um, very like a, a lemon lemon zest. Right, right. Compared to the opposite of that, which is your phenolics, which is maybe your uh, deep, dark, 
longer molecules that are more pungent, like your bitters, like Angostura bitters, and whatnot. Yeah. The old fashioned is an old fashioned for a reason, right? It's, it's got the sugar. Trinity, man. It's the Trinity. Yeah. You know, you've got the bitters, you've got the the light torpedo value. It's it is that roller coaster. Yeah. It's, it's got everything, and it's really simple. And that's it. So it, it is no surprise that some of the greatest bands ever are trios. It's true. <laughs> Cream, right? Yeah, so, man. Um, <laughs> the the jam. Yep. Right. So it's that same thing that I think you can do it in three. I think that that's the fundamental what you would build off of. You, know? you can't not. Yeah. You, you have to start there. Um, it's very rare that you can accomplish something great without at least having that trinity. Yeah. yeah. Do you think that people go overboard in six, eight, ten ingredients? I think so. It yeah. just becomes too. Unless you're really, like you say, razor sharp on everything that you're creating and how that makes a difference to every single ingredient, yeah. it can go too far for sure. You, you you do see a fair amount of it. The one thing that really disappoints me, to be honest with you, is cocktail lists. So a cocktail list is supposed to be a communication piece to the customer that doesn't have a bartender in front of them, right? Right, right as, a, yeah. as a pure example. Um, when you read a cocktail list, I always look at it from the eyes of my mother, say. Okay. She sees a Negroni and it says, um, I don't know, Ruta Celery Dry, um, Campari, mm-hmm. and Antica Formula. 14 bucks. What the fuck is that? Like, <laughs> she doesn't know. Right? Yeah, like, her yeah. expectations are not met. Holy, she, that's, a, that, yeah, that's exactly right. Yeah. It, it, you need to, you know, really use that opportunity as a cocktail list to try and manage people's expectations. Like, no guy generally wants to end up with a pink drink and a flute right. while his mates are drinking beers. So he's not going to order a cocktail off the list if he doesn't know what that's going to be like. Right, yeah. And I mean, that's a big part of hospitality and it's crazy. And a lot of people still oversee that. So it was things like you know menu management and the psychology of the menu and you know the perception of flavor and all of these sort of programs within that exist in hospitality that nobody was really addressing mm-hmm. and that's where myself and my team really started to focus both in the UK but also in the states and, yeah. you know that's I think we managed to as a group uh, give back a lot of work and we we saw it translate especially in in London yeah uh, but all all around the world it's uh, it's been a pretty interesting journey it's well the Everyone understands flavors if you can make it simple enough. Exactly. It is an yeah. internet. We all eat. Right? Mm-hmm. We know what salt is. I know what acidic is. So in a way, you've got a little bit of an advantage. You're working with a language that people understand. But cutting through, what is it? Techno babble. That's what I call it, right? It's like, yes, you and I know because we, prefer- we have our preferred gin that we want. We know the styles. Mm-hmm. But then you get into vermouths and stuff. and So is maybe the approach strong sweet and smoky like does that make more sense does do you think that resonates better in that kind of vernacular with customers i think so yeah it's like um a, a bittersweet you know combination yeah. that that will set you up for your meal or your date you know or at the end of your meal or you know light refreshing tall and 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 aromatic yeah you know say a mojito that's how that would sort of look out on a, on a menu not mint sugar lime right um and you have to parenthetically in each one it has to, it has to say not too sweet <laughs> every single fucking drink even if well, it says better but it's not too sweet leading into what i'm doing here in austin today yeah. is is a, a seminar on sugar and this this came about from uh claire warner smith uh, myself and 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 her put in two separate but similar uh, submissions into tales of the cocktail about mm. four years ago now and philip duff who's the director there put the two of us together and said hey you guys are going down the same path why don't yeah. you do something together and so we built this program on, on, on what sugar was. She was very passionate about how bad sugar is for you. Yeah. Um, I was very passionate about how we can still create in our world of cocktails without having to lean on sugar so much right, because right. I understood the, 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 the bad virtues of sugar. <laughs> yeah. um, so I've continued you know, to, to really do her side and my side um, because it's not a, a stealing of information as far as I see it and, and, and Claire is, is with me on that. It's more of a sharing of, sure. of that and making people aware of how bad sugar is for us it's it's it is it's a weird thing it's a we're obsessed with it in the west man we totally. put it on everything it's we want super sweet everything you've got flavored vi- just so much it's just ubiquitous it's not their fault it's um, 1989 the big sugar companies they managed to pass legislation that they did not have to put their proprietary sugar down nor how much sugar was in their products across oh, wow. the board so Nobody knows how much sugar they're, they're eating each day yeah. because it's not on the packs and they don't have to be on the packs. And so, you know, when you look at just things like ketchup or a hamburger oh, exactly, and yeah. you don't understand how much sugar is actually in that. Uh, and Because you, you think you go into the, the supermarket 
Like this is safe. I'm gonna I'm gonna buy some meat. There's no sugar in that. I'm gonna buy some potato chips. There's no sugar in that. Well, guess again. There's sugar. You're, you're right. It's, sugar it's in everything. Fucking everything. It's ridiculous. Well, it's just like corn. There was corn everywhere, and we had to find a way to use it in another way. Well, there's sugar in everything. We'll just turn the corn into sugar, and then we can put that in it. And everything. Many, many different forms of sugar. Yeah. It's, uh, you know, it, a lot of people talk about high fructose corn syrup and whatnot. And it's, it's not any, it's, it's as bad as sugar. It's probably a little bit worse, but it's not yeah. that much worse. No, it's not that different. Like, yeah, yeah. not really. Fructose is the killer. Yeah. Fructose is the, the one um, element of sugar. So sucrose, which is sugar, mm-hmm. is a, a disaccharide, meaning it's got two. two yeah. So you've got glucose and sucrose, uh, sorry, glucose and fructose. Fructose, our body can't deal with. Our, our liver is our, our, and our kidneys are our organs that are supposed to deal with it. Yeah. Um, it literally, your body spikes when you get a high amount of fructose. Uh, insulin is used to lower your blood levels, but that's used to also then com- put that fructose straight away into yeah. fat. Gotcha. Um, and then you you grow and you grow. Yeah, you, you, that's you, a nice you, way of putting it. Yeah, <laughs> you become larger and unhealthier and. Um, Really, like the, the whole juicing phenomenon is scary as fuck. Yeah. People are drinking copious amounts of fruit juices. And without the fiber in the fruit juice, you are just getting nothing. It on. Yeah. Like, who, who, who would sit down and eat eight oranges in, in one sitting? No one, right? Yeah. And the, but they'll drink eight, eight you know, eight oranges, oranges in worth a glass. Of juice. Yeah, for sure. And so all of that fructose is going straight into your fat. It's, yeah. uh, it's being at, at your liver and kidneys will deal with sugar before it'll deal with alcohol. Alcohol is a poison. Yeah, uh, a good will, one, but yeah. It, yeah, indeed. <laughs> um, you know, it, it'll, it'll immediately uh, deal with the fructose and turn that into fat storage. So fiber is something that will help the body take that fructose through our system and for us to pass it. Right. So if you do have fiber with your sugar, it's not too bad. Eat an apple, it's okay. Yeah. Juice an apple, no. Slap not it out of your hand. It's not, it's not the same thing. And in the liqueur world, you know, in the spirits world, there's a lot of sugars in cocktails. There's, oh, a, yeah. there's, a, there's a huge amount. Rum. There's a lot of back sweetened rum, man. There yeah. is. There is. I now mean, that's usually rums. glucose, I think, or sucrose rather, but, but still, it's just added in there. It's, it's an interesting topic. Um, yeah. And the more we learn about it, the better we can all, all be um, from both sides of the bar. Sure. Responsible service of it and also the consumption of it. When it, when it comes to health, it seems like you have... a this parallel passion for health. Now, that should be implicit to everybody. Everybody should care about their health. But on a scientific level, it sounds like you've done quite a bit of work on that. So your interest in health, does that stem from your own personal health, family, just a general interest? To be totally honest, yeah, I fucked myself up pretty badly when I was younger. Yeah, yeah. A lot of drugs, a lot of bad decisions and all the rest of it. And Really, in, in the industry that we're in, and I've been in it for 22 and whatever years now, yeah. uh, there's a lot of alcohol consumption, and your body does not deal well with that poison, not in the amounts that the, you know, oh, yeah. most of us consume it at. Sure. Um, so, you know, to counterbalance that, to be able to be a, a functioning alcoholic, I guess you would say, <laughs> um, you know, I, I learned a lot about my body, and I, and I learned a lot about, you know, going to nutritionists and, and speaking to people who, who know exactly what's going on. And, yeah. Supplements have, have literally saved my life, to be honest. What with are you. a few supplements? Because I supplement as well. Mm-hmm. Omega fatty acids, yep. I take those. Yep. What are Important. a few things you find are pretty helpful for you? Complex B12s B12s, and B12s, yeah. um, especially magnesium, potassium yeah. uh, for, for the alcohol. Um, your, your D is important, even though I get plenty of it in Miami. Yeah. Um, again, your omegas, but getting them from the right sources as well. Sure. Um, there are a lot of vitamins on the shelves here in America that are absolute rubbish for you. They're mm. full of fillers. They're full of all kinds of ridiculous shit without anywhere near enough of the supplement that you actually need. So yeah. be be wise, do your research, and work out exactly what is needed for your body. Mm. And you can go and get tested. You, know, you can go and, and see people that can tell you exactly what you're deficient. What you need, yeah, what you're right, deficient yeah. Exactly. That's the word I was looking for. Oh, sorry. Thank you. No, that's great. <laughs> I mean, I'm just here to help. That's really, that's really the facilitator, right? And so it's it's exactly that. So being aware um, in in life and in and in in love and in everything yeah. you do is is only ever going to help you. Um, so that's definitely a, a part of of me being uh, giving back to the industry now. I think it's important. I mean, you have some stories. You've had some experience with it. You're recently married too. So I mean, that is even another reason to keep your shit like healthy. You know what I mean? It really is. Like you you can only be a good partner if you're alive. It's the truth, right? And healthy. And healthy. Mind, body, and soul. Absolutely. 
so traveling is much, and we'll talk about this this most recent chapter with Royal Dutch Distillery in one one moment. But you're traveling around a bit now. Would you say you're traveling around more now than you had been previously in your career? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, working in London, I traveled a lot. I traveled a lot internationally. I worked with the Soho House Group, so I yeah. used to travel to all of their oh, all of their properties. Um, when I came to America, it was it was pretty heavy. Working with Royal Dutch was pretty full on for a while. Yeah. Um, I literally in the month of May and June last year. Um, probably spent six nights in my own bed. Oh, it was crazy. out of control. But we were just launching a brand, you know, yeah. and that's what it takes you, to make a, a national footprint on a brand new product. Got to get you it. Got to get out there, man. Socialize it. Uh, that's it. What do so, you? Sorry, good. So things are a little calmer now. I, I do have a team uh, that I'm building that is doing that element that, that I no longer am, am, am responsible for. Yeah. Uh, from a day day by day uh, part of it. The, the travel is, is good. Look, we're launching here in Texas. That's know, amazing. Three yeah. big cities. Um, Dallas and Houston were the two weeks before now. This week we're in Austin. We're meeting with, with distributors. We're telling them uh, all of our stories and, and putting liquids to lips and, and trying to get them excited about our product. And, yeah. you know, it's, it's been really, really successful so far. You're it's on tour, man. I just said, it's you, you're on tour, right? You're yeah. totally on tour. <laughs> you think you stepped away from music, and perhaps you did literally, but... You're still on tour. It's crazy. You're selling it? a pro. You know what I mean. You're selling a song. You're playing to an audience. Just a different stage. It's true. Are you? You find in what are some of the things that you do to make sure that traveling so much, you really keep healthy and you don't lose yourself to the road. It's easy to lose yourself to the road. You yeah. have to stay active while you're while you're out there. Um, you have to look after your sleep, yeah. especially as I'm getting older. Um, I can't. Get away with five hours, six hour nights yeah. all in a row in a week anymore. That's not not on. Um, eating healthy, it's it's too easy to let your diet go out the window when you're out having dinner, lunch every day, entertaining Absolutely. other people. And the booze part, all the calories and booze, people don't ever think about that. It's it's true. And traveling, to be honest with you, was why I'm carrying probably an extra twenty pounds on I should be. Okay. Um, it's it's hard to stay on top of that. Yeah. Um, it's just a consistency thing with with fitness really that's a, a difficult one. But you have to make those lifestyle choices and you have to stay on top of it. Um, uh, what you put in your body is what you are. And that's, you know, I guess the easiest sentence to remember and help it's, you. I you mean, know. it's a pretty beautiful way to put it. I would say shit in, shit out, but yours is much better. <laughs> that's pretty much it though, right? <laughs> yours yeah. is a little more nuanced, I would say, a little bit cleaner. But So you've got some amazing gins, the, the Rute gin, and this is kind of the recent chapter with Royal Dutch Distillers. You guys... It's part of a much larger portfolio of stuff, but you have these three gins that are just arriving in Texas. Now, do you guys have a distributor already for these? We do. So with Southern Wine and Glaciers, oh, great. Okay. So they're going to distribute us here in Texas. It's amazing. It's been a, it's been a slow build. Um, yeah. We are focusing on you know five major cities around uh, America. And it's interesting you say we are a, a smaller part of a larger family. Is that um, fair? It is. Yeah. So De Kuiper yeah. uh, is probably one of the oldest spirits uh, companies in the world dating back 300 years now, still family-owned. That's incredible. Um, they have the De Kuiper liqueurs. Yeah. Um, somebody in the family sold the rights to De Kuiper liqueurs to the States in the 1980s. So De Kuiper here in America is nothing to do with De Kuiper oh, in the rest of the world. That. So the quality is completely different. Oh, okay. uh, everything is perfectly natural uh, in, in Europe and, yeah. and the rest. Uh, here it's very, very... I know exactly where you're going. Different. Going back to that sugar talk. <laughs> right. Yeah. Oh, that's well, that's actually enlightening because I didn't want to say, well, it's really it tastes kind of artificial, Benjamin, here. But that makes sense. It is a lot. Yeah. Um, and Dekaiba sort of sits in, in that train, I guess, here in the States. Yeah. It's, it's, it's a, a, Not a, optimal. a plastic flavor. Yes. Let's, let's call good. it that. Like so that. Mark DeKuyper, who is 11th generation, he's going to be the next one to take over the company. That's incredible. Um, he came to the States to launch uh, Mandarin Napoleon, which is a, a Mandarin-style liqueur. Mm. Um, so we have that. We have Ruta. Um, it was his brainchild to have a celery gin. What is, um, yeah, t t as a gin maker, tell me, what, how are you guys making a celery gin? Interesting, right? So uh, Simon Ruta, who's our founder, um, mm. 1872, he was using all kinds of different really interesting ingredients in his products. Yeah. Um, he was a, a bit of a, a creative uh, um, artist, scientist. I guess. Mad scientist <laughs> is a good way to put it. Um, so his Jennifer would have roasted nuts in there and carob and all kinds of things. 
Um, celery leaf is what he's been using in lots of different ah, botanicals, okay. uh, distillates uh, for many years. So when Mark went to our most recent master distiller, Miriam Hendricks, uh, he's like, what about celery? How do you feel about celery? He's like, yeah, of course, we've been using celery for ages. Yeah. You know, let's, let's just focus on that and, and, and move into it. And it's, it's really resonated with the American market. It's, it's done a, a, a great many things for a lot of, let's call it brunches around the country. <laughs> That's right, you know, yeah. your, your, your red snappers, your twists on the Bloody Mary. And you know, those savory notes have really worked well in a lot of other cocktails. It's, uh, it's truly a, an interesting product. Yeah. We've, we've done a lot with it. And, and the, the Geneva, the Geneva. Yeah. Um, I've spoken to everyone back in the Netherlands. They don't give a shit. You can call it Geneva. You can call it Geneva. <laughs> they don't care. Uh, there's all kinds of... Just give, give me a, a glass of yeah. it, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. exactly. Um, ours is really interesting. Ours has a lot of different ingredients going into it, and it's sort of un, unheard of here in the States. The, yeah. the general Geneva is really a malted spirit with uh, a juniper flavor, and that's about it. Um, ours is uh, completely different. And more robust, more dynamic? More robust. It's got a much more fruitier sort of note to it, a, a great deal more complexity with the carob, yeah. which is your, your alternate to chocolate, I guess, right. in a health food store. Your roasted nuts, um, hazelnuts, walnuts, uh, and whatnot. It's, uh, it's a really interesting, It's as David Wondrich would say, uh, and he took our product and mixed with it and, and did a little video for us. He's like, this spirit, this the Geneva yeah. uh, and Old Simon is, is like your... Your gin for your whiskey drinkers. You know, ah. it, it, it makes that bridge, that transition between your whiskey and, and gin very well because of that malted spirit. Right. He truly believes uh, that the Martinez is uh, to the martini what Cassius Clay is to Muhammad Ali. It's the same fucking thing. It's just a little That's different. That's amazing, yeah. And he's got a whole you know, background of stories and research that sort of you know, goes into that. And your neighbor was... Literally, the one spirit that was being imported into America in huge amounts back in those times. So, mm. if, when you look at the old books and they say gin, it was more than likely a, a Holland or a Dutch style gin that they really? were, they were reaching for. I didn't realize that. Not a lot of people realize that yeah. either. And when because the flavor about, is far darker and brood, more brooding. You know? Very much so. Yeah, yeah. yeah. The, when the English got a hold of Geneva, that's when things uh, changed got up. Got a little and, stuffy. Yeah, a little refined. <laughs> uh, yeah, and uh, and a little. Uh, they, they they had a prohibition in in London in the 1700s. Yeah. The gin craze got out of hand. Uh, if you remember, <laughs> uh, there were more people dying than being born. It's the only time it's ever happened. Holy in the shit! That's of, of I didn't realize it was that. Yeah, it was that horrible. Drastic. Mother's ruin. All of that. That's where it all came from. No they, uh, it was it was basically your national duty to drink gin because all of the guys are coming back from the war. Yeah. They're going out into the farmlands. They were making, or sorry, they were growing their grains. They would sell their grain, but they'd have a surplus of stock. And so what they would do with their grain is essentially make something that's not going to go off, that you use as a fuel that you could sell. So yeah. they had this spirit. And what would you do with this spirit? Flavor it with juniper, which was the natural sort of flavor of, of, the, of, the, of the time, and, right, right. and sell it as gin. And it was, poverty was everywhere. You know, the, the population was, was in a bad state. Um, all you really did back then was get drunk and fuck that's right so prostitution and and you know and thievery and the rest of it yeah. was in a bad bad way so gin has a lot to answer for Thankfully, I like that. It's, it's very different now i like that we're, we're complicit in a lot of vices you know <laughs> and a lot of bad illicit behavior that actually makes me feel kind of good it's true just, just a little a long bit. way yeah we have come a long way well so you're heading to, to small victory here at 3 p.m wonderful spot and josh is doing a great great work at that spot you'll love it i don't know if you've been there before but it's just it's so quaint and kind of a, almost like a place you'd go to have a, an affair. I'm looking forward yeah, to it. Yeah, that, that yeah. piece is really amazing. And so you're gonna be talking about the sugar topic that we've kind of talked about and over sugaring and stuff, mm -hmm. right? Well, when are you heading? Are you heading back to Miami after this? Or do you have a Dallas? I'm I'm off to uh, speak to the distributors tomorrow. Yeah. That's the main reason we're in town and doing this tour is to get the distributors to understand our products and to be able to sell it, give them the stories. But while I'm here, I might as well do what as I can well, right? to, uh, you know, get some people together and 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 train on an interesting uh, seminar. I think it's going to be. I, I I'm very health's important to me, and I like that you're thinking about that. And you can drink and be healthy. I'm you can absolutely In moderation. Very very sure of that. So I've got one kind of final question for you. And this one, I have no idea where, where you would go with it, which mm -hmm. is great. I'm so glad. So you are at, let's say the Savoy, okay, enjoying whatever kind of cocktail you want, whether it's a martini, you want a whiskey neat or whatnot. And anybody living or deceased can be sitting next to you and you can have a conversation with them over a couple of fine drinks. Who might that person be? Wow. 
that's a big question, isn't it? Yeah. Um, <laughs> the musician in, in me wants to sit next to uh, Miles Davis. I was, I was uh, wondering, yeah. The the cocktailian in me wants to sit next to um, probably Hemingway, right? Interesting yeah. cat. He's done a lot in his life. Um, I think Churchill would be an interesting cat to sit next oh, to. Oh man, that that guy had had accomplished a lot at a very young age. Yeah, he was already published in his early twenties. Uh, went on to rule the the, the free world essentially. Um, you know, as prime minister and 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 changed the world yeah um through his leadership um, incredible um and he loved gin and he drank a shitload of gin <laughs> yeah absolutely um that's that's that would have to be my answer i think I, that I would be such a lovely go. quippy exchange yeah i He's, couldn't keep up with him there's so many of his quotes they're hilarious that's pretty yeah. brilliant stuff well benjamin dude thank you so much for spending some time on this afternoon to come sit down chat and sip some tequila which i feel only will get rid of this perhaps Onsetting cedar fever you might be experiencing. <laughs> Thanks for having way. me, man. Yeah, this dude, has been an absolute pleasure. It's been a pleasure. We'll have to keep in it. touch for sure. Indeed. Safe travels. Thank you. Thank you, brother. Well, there we have it. The industry vet, the gentleman, the scholar, the teacher himself, Mr. Benjamin Carlotto. We're talking about Rute Gin, a new gin in Texas. We talk about Bacardi. We talk about Scotland. The man is well-traveled. He's distinguished. He's articulate. And it was just a pleasure to get to kind of share these chats with him and learn about this amazing life that he's led so far that now has brought him to Miami for even more new frontiers for him. So, Benjamin, thank you so much for sitting down and chatting with me. I wish you all the best of luck in all of your scholarly pursuits. And thank you for listening to Show to V with Mike G. No matter how much you think you do, in fact, have in common with Mr. Sam Malone of Cheers, Or if you're thinking, man, I don't know if I can do another season of House of Cards. It's already so close to reality as it is. Please keep dancing.